Oh, well, I saw it. Hmm. Well, we're recording. We're recording. We're up and running. That's kind of how we do our... <laughs> yeah, it's... Uh, right into There's it. no real intro. <laughs> we're not nearly as professional as Mike Nelson is either. Yeah, fake it till you make it, I guess, yeah. for him. That I, guy. Haven't, I haven't He's... seen his setup, though. Is, is it similar to this, or...? No, he does everything through the phone. Oh, does yep. really? he has a uh, mic splitter and he, he does his, his ins and outs are pre-recorded, so it's con- there's consistency yeah. there, but then it's just, yeah, and a lot of his things are over the phone too, so you still, you don't mm-hmm. get the great, you know, obviously sound quality that you all have, but it's, I mean, that's how he's doing it. Yeah, yeah. well, he gets the big, big names on too, so. Yeah. We did one. Wait, minute. you have a big name. You can't just say that while I'm here. Until now. <laughs> <laughs> Until now. Why are you always an asshole, Ben? <laughs> <Well>. <laughs> It's just a Nate. It's just who I am. <laughs> Damn it, that backfired, didn't it? <laughs> so let's. Uh, we're here for a special recording today with yeah. one of our biggest guests. Unless you <laughs> listen that? to Ben. Who's that? Uh, we're here with Matt who? Santangelo from uh, Hoopfest, Hooptown USA, yeah. Spokane AAU. He's involved in basketball, basically, lots of basketball. His life is basketball. Former yeah. Gonzaga basketball star. Yeah. Lucky should... number 13. Yeah. Well, thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for thanks for coming in on short notice. I mean, we only reached out to you last week. Yeah, well, thanks for this. <laughs> snow made it a little harder this morning, but but we fought through. Yeah, yeah. seriously. So what, what what is today? What it's the eleventh, twelfth? It's the eleventh all day. It's the eleventh all day. Yeah, December eleventh. It's almost Christmas. Pearl Harbor? No, it's not. It's December seventh. Yeah, seven eleven. Seven three. Yeah. Seven. Uh, we, we ramble a lot you yeah. might see that but we've both had interactions with you over the last five six years as yep. long as I've been with Heartland but do you want to maybe just give a little brief background who you are what you are how you've done it yeah um, geez where what does people need to know about uh, where to start um, from inner city north Portland um, youngest of nine kids five sisters three brothers um, uh, came to Spokane in 1995 uh, on a basketball scholarship to attend Gonzaga University um, got to participate on some really, really good teams in that group and um, were, was fortunate enough to kind of be a part of the group that uh, put Gonzaga on the national scene uh, back in the original Cinderella days. Um, basketball then took me all over the world. It, Italy, Spain, Greece, and Poland uh, professionally after school. Um, and then my wife and I, who I met at Gonzaga, neither one of us have family in Spokane. When we were done playing basketball, I had an opportunity to go to work for a financial services firm here in Spokane, a small boutique shop, uh, and jumped on it. And we've been back now for 12 years. And, um, you know, our oldest child was born in Spain, uh, blonde, blonde, uh, I, or excuse me, blonde hair, blue eyed Spanish boy. Um, and then my other two children, Luca and Stella were born here in Spokane. So we've been here for a while now. So one can, cannot run for president. The other two can. It's true. <laughs> we, was, we already limited him yeah, just seriously. from where he was born. <laughs> That's crazy, the whole have to be born here thing. Only because it rules me out. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank God. That's why we have it in place. So people like you can't run for president. We turn into a dictatorship. So but. we normally do some icebreaker questions. This yep. is going to release on the 23rd, two days before Christmas. Okay. So let's do some Christmas icebreakers. Oh, okay. did you come up with some new ones, huh? No, same ones I asked oh, okay. you. <laughs> what are your top three Christmas movies? Top three Christmas movies. Uh, Christmas Vacation. Boom. Um, probably because it's appropriate for my, well, I don't know, uh, Jim Carrey's The Grinch, yes, I think is, is, is really, really good. Um, and then just because I'm, I'm in a loving mood for my, my sweet wife, Love Actually, I think is also, uh-huh, uh-huh, just for the sake of shits and giggles here this morning. 
for the record, the guy with the accent in Love Actually, it doesn't actually work like that. That's Love Actually, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The Welsh guy. <laughs> for shits and giggles. It doesn't, it doesn't work like that. I've got a picture for you. Oh. Or I can say it. This is Keep super talking. great for a podcast. Everybody can see the picture. <laughs> well, I'll read it. I'll read it. Jake and I were going back, and I think this is hilarious. Jake and I were driving back, and we stopped in Moses Lake for lunch from meetings in Moses Lake. And we're at this bar, and we're looking at these signs that are coming across. <laughs> and this picture, it says, it's all shits and giggles until someone giggles and shits. <laughs> <laughs> What made you think of that? Because he said it yeah. for shits oh, okay. and giggles. Um, now whenever someone says the shits and yeah, giggles, well. Think, well, until they giggle and shit, then that's a problem. All right. In a couple sentences, what does Christmas mean to you? A uh, couple sentences would be too long. Family. Family, first and foremost. I mean, young, like I said, youngest of nine kids. Um, didn't come from a lot in Portland. Um, a lot of love and support, but not a lot of stuff. So Christmas was always a time to get together. Um, you know, just if everyone just got one present, that was seemed like a lot of presents under the tree because there were so many people. Um, and so that's really what it means to me. It means, uh, you know, family and pit sales, and, um, which is an Italian cookie that my mom makes the dough. My dad does one by one uh, with a pit sale iron. Um, and just some of those little traditions of growing up that, you know, now we're trying to recreate for our own family. Um, Your folks family. are Italian, you said? Uh, dad is, mom's Dad's not. Italian. Yeah, so born half in Italy? Or? Uh, he was the first in his family born here in the States. Okay. So he had two older brothers born in the old country. Uh, also, as a family, emigrated over. Um, and actually, I carry an Italian passport, so I carry dual citizenship, Italian-American. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. That's cool. So, what part of Italy did you say? Uh, outside of Naples. The mountains outside of Naples. So make sure you have your watch before I leave. Just <laughs> Are you a Napoli fan or you're a soccer fan? Uh, not enough to know. Um, I have a whole theory on soccer, but we don't need to get into oh, that. Oh, yes, we do. I want to get into that, but not right now. We'll get into yeah. that later. <laughs> I'm writing down soccer. All right, one more question. Yep. What do you th- when do you think it's Christmas in Spokane? What one thing does Spokane do that just makes you go, wow, okay, now Christmas is here? Oh gosh, I'd have to go. That's a good one. I don't know if I have one. I think, you know, in growing up in Portland, we didn't necessarily get um, what we have outside today. So I think the snow <laughs> is, is really, really um, uh, a nice thing that Spokane gives us around this time <laughs> of year. And I actually love the four seasons. I love when the snow is falling. I don't like the slush season so much, yes. but uh, but the snow season is, is really, really nice. So that's one that um, I've come to love, and I know my kids really look forward to it, um, especially on mornings like this when they wake up and it's kind of a surprise. So skier, snowboarder, and then um, mountain of choice? Uh, neither. Unfortunately, growing up, because basketball was winter yeah. sports, so I didn't have an opportunity to do a lot of winter sports um, other than basketball. And then as you get older, um, it's not one that you start late <laughs> because there's, I don't know what the upside is. All the upside, you don't like sprain ankles and like get Charlie horses. You break stuff, you know, picking up winter Shatter sports. Stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I'm a little bit scared that way. So I have never really picked up the outdoor winter sports, even though um, we have had our kids up on skis and snowboards. So they get a little more exposure to it. Oh, I'm cool. with you on that. I love the concept of it. I've done it a few times. I don't like being cold yeah. and I don't like going up a mountain to come down it really fast. It's just like, uh, okay. Like, I know, and I'm like, I'm type like, I, I just, it just scares me. Like, I'm not afraid well, to say, I mean, like, it's scary. Running around on a little field, just kicking a ball. Yeah. Well, that's like the definition of insanity. That's different. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's, I can't wait for We're this. We're going to have so much fun with this. I can already talk. tell. 
Because you know my two sports are soccer yeah, and basketball, I know, and yeah, I think they complement each other so well. They do. But, they absolutely do. Oh, um, geez. Now we're going to get political and be all nice <laughs> about it. I'm not going to get political. Let's I'm start sure with we'll lucky. I wanted to talk about lucky number 13. That was your, did, was that your number in overseas as well? Did you get to keep uh, your number? I did for a couple of the teams I played on. So I wasn't 13 until I came to GU, and the Gonzaga that we all know today is a lot different than the one that I showed up to in 1995. They had two jersey numbers that were available, and they were last year's jerseys. Um, like literally, <laughs> yeah, this, is, this is my big brother. Maybe you know my big brother five miles in the snow to school uphill both ways. Like this is back when we used to do it. Um, and they had thirteen and fifteen, and I didn't know I didn't really want fifteen, so I said I'll take the unlucky number just because I thought it was fun. Um, come to find out, thirteen is actually a lucky number in Italian tradition. So yeah. I didn't know that at the time, but That's I know that cool. now. Um, and then it just kind of became the number, but it was, it, had I had a choice like they do now and they get new uniforms every other day, um, <laughs> I would have chose a different number, but that was what yeah. was available. I was going to say, it seemed to work out well for you. <laughs> yeah, so, I like it. You know, I mean, it, it's stuck it for sure. Sense with the Italian heritage. Yeah. So FIBA is super different from the USA in terms of basketball, right? And when I was growing up, I'm about your age. I'm, okay, 30, you I'm, about, I'm 38, right? Federation of International Basketball Associations. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I knew that. I, um, that I don't. <laughs> but we were we were always 4 through 15 were the numbers you could have in basketball. So 3 down, you weren't allowed. You weren't yeah. allowed 0, double zero. Like hmm. We would see guys in the NBA, Jordan and everything, wearing 23, Pippen 33. You'd be like, how, do you, how can they wear those numbers? Because we only have 4 through 15. And yeah. I think that was pretty... Until... Maybe the last 10 years, it was still like that a lot in Europe. Is huh. that, did you experience that in Europe at all? Uh, Europe, I think, when I was there, so I was there 2000 into 2007, and we were, they were starting to be a little more flexible, and you even had some some of the more crazy, like the 88s, like some of the more crazy uh, NBA the numbers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but it was because it was all just, I mean, even looking back to, it just was different. I mean, it, it was it was different here too. You know, it was growing up. You just didn't have the access. One, you didn't have the resources because you were using, you know, in Gonzaga's case, last year's uniforms. Um, and then it just wasn't as important. I probably until twenty three started wearing it, and that mm-hmm. more of that individual flair kind of took over. Uh, you know, the NBA and basketball in general. But yeah, FIBA basketball is a different game. That's why when the USA team goes and plays in the World Championships and the Olympics, they always struggle with the first couple games, even if the scores don't. Re- reflect that they get called for traveling and yeah. there's all these things that are just like what what do you mean i'm cupping the ball yeah yeah exactly <laughs> right exactly right so the, the basketball i grew up playing was very different from the basketball you grew up playing i'm mm-hmm. sure and it's a lot different than the what my kids are growing up playing even here so that evolves continually evolves mm-hmm. so if we're going through the timeline and we're going through your time at gu you were yep. talking about kind of the formative years was it just like euphoric being there at that time and the run to the elite eight and everything that yeah was gonzaga basketball and the cinderella times as you mentioned well i just don't think we knew what we were doing you know i don't think it was this like this this scripted kind of path to mm-hmm. recognition and success i think it was just uh uh you know, i kind of say like you know success no matter how you define it is a byproduct of doing the right things day in and day out so it's not like we set out to be on ESPN. We set out. We definitely had a goal of making the NCAA tournament. We beyond that, we couldn't dream big enough to know what that looked like and felt like because you know it wasn't a part of our everyday existence like it is for these guys. So we didn't know to expect more. And so you do, our thing was just being good. You know, being good teammates, working our tails off. 
you know, competing every day in practice. And then what the sum kind of total of all that was success when we got onto the bigger stage. Um, so it really was, um, kind of a firsthand journey into success because there was no roadmap, you know? And so I always liked the, you know, one of the things I like, many things I like about the Gonzaga story is that it's first generation wealth. You know, it's not, we're not looking at John Wooden's history. We're not looking Mm -hmm. at Dean Smith's history. You know, coach K is first generation, but you know, he's stretched out so long now because he's been there doing such great things. You know, even Michigan State and Tom Izzo was living up to Judd Heathcote and things that mm-hmm. had happened before them. You know, right now, the, the Gonzaga is still, you know, first generation because really the the foundation of the program, which was, you know, honestly the group or two before us, um, and then dating all the way back to John Stockton, you know, they all have their fingerprints on it. So we really, there's a great sense of ownership and pride as to what it's become even though it is a lot different than when we started. What a cool group to be a part of. I imagine that even today, the camaraderie amongst you guys, I'm sure is still there. Well, there's a certain recognition, you know, they still, you know, they probably think that when, you know, me and my teammates walk in, they're like, what is all that gray hair? And then the fact that we have hair compared to the guys before us, um, (laughs) we're getting a little older, but, uh, uh, but there is, and I think a lot of that has to do with the continuity in the athletic department with Mike Roth, certainly the continuity of the coaching staff with Coach Few being there throughout this whole thing, even when we had success before his, his first head coaching year, uh, has a lot to do with that connection that we all feel. Awesome. From that, you jumped from playing professional basketball in Italy after your collegiate career to Hoopfest executive director of Hoopfest, right? Yep. Was there anything in between that? Yep, so I actually, I came back to uh, Spokane and worked in financial services. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I did that for five years, a um, little over five years, lived through the Great Recession, um, got say, out of- started at a really fun time. Yeah, um, and then I went into health insurance through yeah. Obamacare. So oh. like I went from- Do you, you like, like glutton, trouble, don't you? Glutton yeah, for you punishment. Glutton. Um, and then Hoopfest opportunity was just really rare and unique. So I, I had worked for, I'd been back for almost seven years before the HoopFest opportunity kind of came around, and I've been at HoopFest a little over five um, and been through six events, six HoopFest mm-hmm. events. Wow. So let's talk about HoopFest. We have a lot of listeners that aren't Spokaneites. Yeah. What is it? So HoopFest is the largest three-on-three basketball tournament in the world. Um, now, what does that mean? People still kind of go like, I don't, I, don't, I don't quite get it. And numbers don't really do justification because you got to kind of see and feel it to really understand the event. But it's a 30-year tradition here in Spokane. It started in 1990. Um, we are a nonprofit. Um, we shut down the streets of Spokane the last weekend in June every single year. So when I say largest, I'll give you the numbers just because for context. So last year in 2019, we had 6,035 teams, 23,985 athletes that play on 422 courts, over 13,000 basketball games on a weekend. Um, and we have players of all uh, walks of life, which is really a, a diverse and inclusive weekend, which we're really proud of. Um, it generates about a $50 million economic impact to the region. That's the important That's cool. number. That's a big yeah, number a big as number. well. We don't deal in small numbers. No. Um, <laughs> so we're fortunate for that. It's about 3,000 volunteers um, that help us pull it off, that allow us to execute the event. And from that event, um, you know, an organization was built around it. You kind of alluded to it in my introduction. Thank you for that. Uh, and so we run Spokane AAU, which is third through eighth grade five on five basketball. We have an outreach program with our public school district called Ignite Basketball. We have a high school summer traveling club team called Eastern Washington Elite. We run a FITS camp. We run a FITS tournament, which are high school level um, uh, camps and tournaments. Um, so lots and lots of basketball. And then we just launched a new initiative this last summer. Uh, Hooptown USA, which is a kind of a new um, 
a uh, new project, new adventure that has really seemed to have struck a chord with the community and trying to build on it. So is, is I wrote down, you actually answered one of my questions, but is Spokane Hoops Association then like the parent company? Yeah, kind of. We're actually, things underneath it? yeah, so we're actually so working say, on that. a lot going on, it sounds like. We do. We're actually working on what that, the structure of the organization is. So Spokane Hoops, in theory, was supposed to become the umbrella. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and a little bit mundane, not, not really saying, but, you know, Spokane Hoops is the home of Hoop Fest, the home of Eastern Washington League, the home of Ignite, AAU, all these different programs underneath it. Um, but now that we've added this hoop town initiative, we're really trying to figure out exactly what that structure is. Um, but at the end of the day, we just run really big basketball programs. You know, we do a lot of, we're not, not for profit is our motivation. Um, and so, you know, we've donated over 32 community courts back to the region. So if you ever drive by a park in our area and you see a hoop fest backboard, that's one that we've paid for and built, maintain. Um, we just secured a, a million dollar investment from MultiCare to kind of help bring Hoop Town mm-hmm. alive. Um, you know, we've given over 1.8 million back to charity over the 30 years, with Special Olympics being the primary beneficiary. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, very, very uh, philanthropic. And we're just, I mean, we're using a game that we all love—the sport, you know, the sport of basketball—to really create connections and opportunities for a lot of different people. So can you chat a little more about the Hoop Town Initiative and what that really is? Yeah, so it, it kind of was born a couple years ago. We got approached, uh, Visit Spokane, our Travelers, Travelers Bureau, um, was going to rebrand. They're working on a rebranding for Spokane from Near Nature, Near Perfect to Creative by Nature is where they landed. And so they approached HoopFest as a community stakeholder and said, you know, what do you think Spokane stands for? And I said, with my connection to Gonzaga basketball, now my connection to HoopFest, like I see firsthand the amount of care that we give the sport. So I'm going to think like we are a basketball town. Like it's, it's no, no brainer. Yeah. Like you yeah, can't argue it. Um, and so, and then I also said like I used Portland as a model because Portland's motto is, you know, keep Portland weird. You know, they're not trying to say, like, keep Portland eccentric and sophisticated. Like, nah, screw it. We're weird. Let's just own it and move on. You know, like, that (laughs) makes a lot of sense to me. So I was like, well, let's just own the fact that we care more about basketball than, you know, than what we should for our size of city and and geographical location. And, of course, that was, you know, my, you know, narrow focus and didn't necessarily influence Visit Spokane, but it did have a big impact on our organization and board. And so as the time rolled over, we kept kind of coming back to this idea of, like, gosh, Basketball City USA, Basketball Town, Hoop City, and eventually we landed on Hoop Town USA, and we found that no one owned the trademark. Who was wow. that? I have no, no, no clue. So we, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and that's exactly what we did. And so we, uh, uh, we trademarked it. And simul- now fast forward to Hoop Fest this year, we got approached by Riverfront Park um, in their redevelopment, the, the park in our downtown, to put in a basketball court. And they asked if we wanted to participate in the funding because we have this example of all these courts mm-hmm. and we have this partnership <clears throat> with parks. And we said, not only do we want to participate, we want to own the whole thing. Like we want to design it, we want to have influence on what the materials, you know, all the different things that we could control. And so that put us into a capital campaign mode, which we've never done before. So we were actually oh, going to wow. go to like a fundraising is this going to be a new center court? What's that? Is this going to be center court? Potentially. Okay. Um, it definitely will be used in the event, that but maybe awesome. not center court, center court. Because um, we have the pavilion now, which is a really mm-hmm. interesting venue. I mean, we have some, some really cool venues to utilize. Um, and so fast forward, we said, okay, if we're in a capital campaign, what do we want to do? And then Hooptown kind of came back front burner. And so we wanted to capital campaign because our, our goal, our really our ambition is to make Spokane Hooptown USA as a recognizable piece of our identity, a brand. Um, that Hoop Fest is just the steward of as the organization behind it, 
but really this is a brand for people to use as they see fit and we want to see widespread adoption and, and really widespread creativity around how we bring this thing to life so say like when a north carolina shows up next week they're showing up to hooptown usa they're not showing up to spokane they're showing up to a community that's mm -hmm. really really passionate about the sport Definitely awesome. planning on coming to the watch party, by the way. That's yep. cool. So we're going outside. Yeah, outside next that. week. So that should be a... It's going to be nice and mild and warm. Get your um, I got to get out of the... I got to get out of the outdoor events business. Yeah. <laughs> Not in the summer. You, you guys... Yeah. yeah. Summer and fall, it's fine. But I tell you, that last week in June usually is the hottest summer the hottest weekend of the summer we summer. have you know when they when they started it when they looked at the calendar back in 1988-89 when they were starting hoop fest they literally used the farmer's almanac and that weekend has the least amount of precipitation of any weekend in our calendar year Seriously. and that's why they circled it now look fast forward 30 years it makes great sense because school just got out yeah. summer hasn't quite started yet the weather hasn't quite usually turned until hoop fest weekend mm -hmm. and then everyone goes to the lake july and august yeah. at least in our region so you catch everyone right after school right before summer starts and it just ended that's, up being a yeah, great tremendous lake, time right? yeah we're yeah. here like oh we're going to the lake and like which one yeah but if you, could, you you we don't have a lake because we're not from around here okay <laughs> <laughs> we go where we're invited and then uh but we it's funny because like i'm going to the lake i have tickets if you can say i'm going to the lake in summer and i have tickets in the winter you are the creme de la creme of spokane oh you're amazing. and then if you throw in a schweitzer then you're like oh my gosh i mean can you can i get in the will somewhere so it's like it's unbelievable that's awesome <laughs> it's true that's why it's funny <laughs> yeah it's true yeah so yeah. <laughs> it's funny in your, in your tenure so far so you said five events or six events six so events yeah six events you've had the hottest ever where people were literally keeling over and yeah. you couldn't i mean the, the, you could see the heat coming off the ground and then the wettest where you couldn't get your your, your tape, tape down. to stick right yep. that was my wow. the wet one was my first year we had storms on friday night um so i feel like i've earned some stripes even though i've only been here for six of 30. <laughs> and the hot really one like the, the hottest one was 2015 which i played that was the only one i've ever played in which was a mistake, I think. But I still haven't played um, too. And it was uh, the hottest day ever in the month of June in the history of Spokane, record, recorded history, on Saturday. <laughs> of and, you know, we break records, so Sunday was hotter. So oh, Saturday was the hottest, and we broke the record the next day. And it was we were lucky we didn't have more serious injury yeah. or, or potential even, um, you know, fatalities due to the weather that week, that, that particular year. I think I remember that. That was only three or four years ago? Yeah, 15. You can't cancel it. I mean, no. You, you can't. Just put a lot more water yeah. stations out. Yeah, the only thing, and they've played in the rain before, and that part's good. The biggest part with the rain are the puddles that form in our streets because the ruts of, you know, <laughs> for the, the greatest, you know, street basketball tournament in the world, it's funny that our streets aren't so great, you know, yeah. so um, which adds to the charm of it all. Uh, but the, the beautiful thing about street basketball and what Hoofest is is that it's meant to be that. Like, it's, if people complain about, oh my gosh, the streets are bad, this is, it's street basketball. Like, there's a certain amount of mentality and toughness that just goes into surviving that weekend that is almost as big as, of an accomplishment as winning your bracket or, you know, winning or losing a game. It's that you were all in it together. It's about a, it's a fun weekend. And, you know, you have people that have never touched a basketball before, and you got people that are, mm. you know, have played at the highest levels that compete in that thing. Mm -hmm. So it's a, it's a pretty fun weekend. I may have shared this with you before. I played in Adidas Streetball back in the day, back in the 90s. Uh -huh. I'm, I'm going to guess 93 or 94 around that time Adidas i remember going street. to glasgow street ball yeah so they, it was yep. similar to hoop fest but they toured europe 
And huh. they might have done it here as well, but Adidas sponsored this three-on-three tournament, and we did really well in it, the group I put together, and it was a ton of fun. But that was the only experience I had of street ball until I came to yeah. New York first. I went and visited Washington, is it Washington Park? And yep. the, like the home of street ball. Rutgers. Rutgers, yeah, Rutgers. Yeah, um, and then when I was down in California, obviously, I knew about White Man Can Jump. And yeah, Venice that. Beach, yeah. here in Spokane, it was like this street ball was huge. I was like, this is cool. I've still never played in it, and I need to. I also have um, an ambition, so I wanted to still be dunking at 40, Yeah. and I did my dunk check in September and I could do it, and I was 215 then, I'm 200 now, so I'm lighter and I'm getting up there much easier. I want to compete in the dunk contest one year. You should. Just you're 37 now? 39 year old Scottish guy throwing a ball down. <laughs> no, you're 38. That's like an automatic, you know, how many points, that's an automatic trip to the finals, right? I'm if you just dunk, you're already in. If you just make your dunks, it's an automatic Right, that's what I mean. Final. How many people miss them? I mean, just a, a 39 year old Scottish man, I think just by signing up, you're in the finals. Like, you don't even have to, you're like, token, there's no preliminary. Yeah. But I think I knew three of the, three of the judges. This year I was watching it and I was like, I know three of those judges. Okay, I'm going. I can. I can this do this. This is my year. <laughs> this is my year. <laughs> Start lobbying. Yeah. Yeah, seriously. So now we know you. If you win, you paid them all off. I do. Yeah. So if win. we know, like the week's podcast leading up to Hoop Fest, you have Rui Hachimura, Josh Perkins, yeah. like Zaykira Rice, who are yeah, our judges wait, this year. Like, like, oh, like, weird. Yeah, 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 They're yeah, getting yeah. the judges on the podcast <laughs> to soften them up. <laughs> No, so I, I can throw he, it down, obviously. I, I, I'm glad he thinks we can get all those people on it in back-to-back prior to Hoop. That'd but be pretty good. I think I've got just enough flash that I can make the dunks, and that's the biggest thing in a dunk contest. Yeah. How many people miss their dunks? Yeah, because they try to do too much. Time. Yeah, I'm like, I just need to make them. <laughs> you got to practice on some sport court. It's a different jumping surface. Well, luckily Ooh. enough, I play up at uh, South Hill Move. Oh, yeah. It's pretty much on the same sport, thing. Yeah, on the it does court. make it harder. You lose a bit. You do. Two and a half yeah. to three inches on every yeah. vertical. It's not that wow. bad. No. It's plastic. It's just different. Oh, it, doesn't it doesn't give you the balance of hardwood. Yeah. yeah. It's so funny. interesting. But there you go. The intricacies of dunking. There you go. <laughs> yeah, seriously. I'm the tallest one here, I think. And I don't play any basketball. <laughs> no, not All right. about it. So, I don't know if you know the background of this podcast, but it's kind of business fitness focused. Like, we've taken this year. and we this year. I mean, yeah. there's like less of us both yeah. at the end of the year than there was at the start of the year physically <laughs> I like that. Um, but then from a business standpoint we focus on that as well and I have to imagine with your so you came from finance so you had a business yeah. acumen obviously yep. don't know if well, that, yeah. yeah but then he was tossed into <laughs> yeah. executive director of Hoopfest yep. and I'm sure you're thinking basketball 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 at what point did you sit down and go this is more than basketball. Well, I mean, the economics of it. Every yeah, CEO. I used to uh, play a lot more golf in financial <laughs> services than I do well, in yeah, uh, yeah. basketball. So this yeah. is, a, I made the mistake of taking a real job here. Yeah. Um, no, it, there's definitely more into it. And it's not so much the financial. I mean, you have, you know, obviously personnel, the management, you know, all the administrative pieces tied to that dynamic of a, of a business. Um, it, it's a lot more political. Hoopfest specifically is a lot more political than I <laughs> non-profit. thought. Uh, nonprofit, which I, I inherently put more political for whatever reason. Yeah, more political just because you're you're tugging on heartstrings. You know, you're 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 living out a mission. But I actually like that part because cool. the mission piece gives direction to decisions. Right? If you have the mission in mind, it's easier to say, okay, what do I do in this hard? You know, I have these two two paths I could choose. Which path do I choose? The mission helps drive some of that. Um, but I think, you know, for, you know, but for the sake of HoopFest, it is a lot more uh, challenges. And, you know, the other part about, you look at the business model, the business model's tough. 
you have one weekend to get it right. Yeah. You know, how many people are, I don't know if 6,000 teams are signed up, 6,500 teams or 4,500 teams. Our job is to make it the, the best basketball weekend on earth, not the biggest. We are the biggest, we are the biggest, but it's, that's not the mission. And by a ways, right? By a ways, yeah. And so, um, but we you know, how does that impact? How many t-shirts you sell? How many basketballs do you sell? How many snow cones do you sell? I mean, all these different things so that you get so much right on one weekend so you can keep a business vibrant, not just sustainable, but vibrant throughout the year. So yeah. how does that work? So snow cones? Like, do you guys get a portion of the sales no, of the vendors down there should. or something? Next year when you go see the Santangelo snow cone hut, yeah. uh, just give the people what <laughs> they want. Like, snow cone hut? Yeah, let's yeah. not overthink this thing. Like, just give the people what they want. No, so, so all the, we actually own the streets. Like, uh, by, you do. yeah, okay. for that weekend. So when the vendors, be it snow cone vendors or food trucks or whomever selling, you know, sunglasses, they all go through our office as well. So hmm. our kind of our four main um, revenue sources for that week and our number one is team registration number two is corporate sponsorship number three is our retail the hoop fest tent mm -hmm. um, and number four are those vendors food vendors and exhibitors that um you know pay to have access to that much that many people in that audience very cool okay that's interesting yeah so you guys obviously work with some major major corporations yep. my favorite one being nike obviously i'm a nike guy I thought you were talk about the maintenance the maintenance Dude. of those relationships yeah. like what goes into that that's that's a full-time job in and of itself right it is yes it is definitely a full-time job we have about 300 partners from you know court level sponsorship so the you know the uh you know starbucks court for mm -hmm. example you know up to the nikes toyotas pepsis jbl's i mean some really some global brands too which are really fortunate for um and each one's a little bit obviously a little bit different um and because we're the nature of our business a lot of those are uh very personal relationships you know like most businesses they mm -hmm. they they like hoop fest for what it is but they they we try to make it as easy as possible to work with them as well so they can activate their brand what we're seeing and hearing the last couple of years um just by kind of osmosis what i'm paying attention to is people don't necessarily want just their name on a billboard anymore you know they want a chance to engage mm -hmm. they want a chance to make an emotional connection between their product or their brand or their business with the audience that's where we have the value and that's where these sponsors come in and really see value um, at HoopFest because we have such a wide range of people there from young families to shoot we had a 78 year old athlete playing last year I mean that's not funny. just athletes but cool. then the extended family the volunteers mm -hmm. all this different dynamic at the heart of it it's about community at the heart of it, it's about the sport of basketball um, so you have this wonderful, and they're captive audience for 48 hours. So you mm -hmm. can really build some cool stuff. For example, the Toyota shootout, which is our half court shot, that opens up on Thursday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. So you have four days to really activate and engage uh, and get those brand impressions. So it just kind of depends uh, what the goal is for each of those partners. Um, you know, obviously what the budget is for each of those partners and then trying to build them a real value, you know, a value added activation where they're going to feel good about hoop fest at the end of the weekend so how have you gone about because i know again to the business side of this podcast too procuring those types of relationships right because that takes a lot to get big names to support your cause. it does and a lot of those fortunately were in place so when i started in 2014 you no know, nike was there nike was at risk of leaving and we were able to re-secure it but those essentially those relationships were warm you know mm -hmm. it was just kind of going in and learning the hot spots um, you know, we have brought on bigger ones, JBL, certainly when Sports Center came, you know, getting Nike to bring Kevin Durant two years ago. Yeah. Um, those Kobe are those coming? what's that? When's tried Kobe to get coach because his girls could play. Kobe could come coach. We tried to get his girls. I had it on my list last year because the with Nike side story, with Nike, there's a certain level of athlete that has to fly privately. 
right? Kevin Durant's a private plane guy. Kobe's a private plane guy. So I told our Nike rep, if I can get you a private plane, if I can take the barriers away, you get me Kobe. I'll find a way to get a plane. So you're on my, you're on my page here. Like oh, Kobe, Kobe Ryan is. Well, and I, he, the, our, <laughs> our, our, one of our connections at Nike, he's out of LA. He's one of Kobe's friends who managed, helped, you know, manage that relationship while Kobe was still playing. And he says that Kobe would love Fest because he's a junkie. Yeah. He's a basketball junkie. His it's girls his are, yeah. And so he would love the different levels. It's not so all about league basketball. Just a plane? Well, that's what I thought. So I tried to, I you know like, me, I, 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 I like, what's the problem? problem? Like, yeah. let's solve the problem. And so, uh, Talk to you about so, a prep secret handshake friends we were talking I, about earlier. I don't know. I know they exist, but they can't, but I could, I wasn't going to figure that out. That would have been easy. He did talk to Gonzaga. He did. Final four. He did. He came in. That was one of Nike's big activations for the Nike schools at the final four was to sneak Kobe in. Uh, and have them so yeah he would be awesome we're always working on that side but one of the things I always caution people especially after the Kevin Durant is that I think it's it's one thing to to celebrate those superlative athletes the Kobe's and KD's and all the ones of the world but really what Hoofest is about is about those 24,000 other mm -hmm. athletes right they're about us it's about us it's about the three of us coming together for that one weekend a year and and throwing the ball around a little bit um, and so it's nice to have the energy of the celebrity, but what makes Hoopfest is the rest of us. And that's, mm -hmm. I think that's really, really that's important cool. to keep in that's mind. Cool. Yeah, really amazing. So how many staff are you guys that's at? Just We're gonna up ask. to eight full time. Eight full time. Yeah, I'm pretty excited. I've hired how many volunteers say? Uh, about 3,000 3, is what okay. it takes off. So yeah, we were, um, when I first started, we were at six full time employees. Um, and we were able to grow the team by a couple in the last couple of years, um, which is completely needed for the size and scope of our business. Um, you talk about the partnerships and relationships, how mm -hmm. important you know digital and social media are um, and our efforts there. Um, it's really about trying to make you know, HoopFest as vibrant and really leveraging the platform for the right things because it is a really powerful, respected brand um, in addition to just being an awesome event. Yes. Mm -hmm. So, so two-part question. What are the positions then? I mean, how does that yeah. break down? How, what are people doing? And then I want to know from a leader, since 2020, we're talking leadership is this podcast. Yep. So it's like personal development and leadership development, right? Yep. And so how have you changed over the six kind of hoop fests that you've been around? I mean, I know it probably didn't sound like you had a managerial role at your other places. Mm -hmm. And now you're stepping into leading the team managing 3,000 volunteers ultimately. I mean, yeah. that's a lot. That's a big change. Well, yeah, it is. And it's it's awesome because, you know, HoopFest is to the side. So I have two two comments and I'll come back to the staff yeah, yeah. question. Um, but really the first one is, is HoopFest is great because so many people take ownership of their areas because it is so big that I can't get over to the beverage tent to say, okay, you need to be selling this many Pepsis. Yeah. You know, it's like, <laughs> so you know what? Steven just figures it out. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and you that, manage managers of volunteers. Hopefully. Right. And, and these people take so much pride and ownership of their area of HoopFest that it takes care of itself. Because the one thing that I don't have to manage, which I'm really, really grateful for, I don't have to manage how people care. Like yeah. people care about HoopFest. Our staff cares about coming to work every day. They care about the quality of programs they're putting out. And so that part, I don't have to convince them to work. We're the hardest working team in basketball. Like I'd say it year in and year out, like we are the hardest working team in basketball to be able to pull off what we do with such a small staff. Um, but it's because people care. So the first of all, so management, you almost like take management a little bit off the table and focus more on leadership, vision yeah. development, yeah, yeah. you know, implementation which and execution, awesome. which is really nice. More totally, totally spoiled. Yeah, yeah. yeah totally spoiled. Um, but staffing wise, you know, we have, we have a office manager, Kelly. She's not great. She's kind of a, also side note, all sports analogies are non-basketball related. 
right? Because I was about to say she's our center field. Yeah. But you can't say there's no like there's no it's, everything's a home run or a kickoff. There's no like slam dunk total cliche tip off. No one like what are we what are you doing? She's your point guard. Well, not really because point guard's different than center field, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah, it's a different position. <laughs> it's like you know, so it's it's really a, a it's always I always find that funny. But she's kind of our center field. Your view? Um, coach on the sidelines, maybe assistant coach. Who's the assistant maybe. Coach? Yeah, you're right about the analogy. It's tough. It's a tough it. one. You always defer to other, you know, other sports besides basketball. Um, and so, uh, so then we have GIF who does all registration and scheduling for all the different programs. So registering, you know, six thousand teams and and bracketing is is uh, that many games. Bracketing Hoop Fest is a, a complete logistical puzzle. Um, we have Rob Davis, who's our site and facility. So everything that physically touches the site, how do you get 422 baskets with the right sponsor logo on it downtown at the right location so people know where to go and play in addition to the vendors and how flow of traffic. I mean, it's it's a big job. And that family's super involved. I know Kirsten. And oh, yeah. So they, Kirsten they, used to, yeah, she used to work there. Um, so uh, Kirsten was there when I uh, first got hired and transitioned out. And then Rob, a couple years later, we had a retirement. Rob transitioned in. So the families, you know, it's like we keep, we keep pulling them back in. <laughs> um, and so then Chad Smith does all volunteer and staffing. So volunteer coordination and then staffing for some of our other programs, our AAU programs specifically. Um, we have a sponsorship partnership person, Morgan Marum. We have uh, now a newer role, which is more specific to marketing, hmm. uh, marketing generalists, so digital, print, you know, all the different graphic design. Uh, Christy Atkinson, who's a new team member of ours. And then we created a new position, uh, kind of a new projects and uh, events, and that's Connor Walsh. He's awesome. He interned at HoopFest prior to my time and has been come back, but his job is to kind of create a portfolio of other stuff that we're currently not doing uh, with the hopes of diversifying our revenue source so we're not so heavily dependent on one weekend yeah. um, and then really creating opportunities for us to do more like we just want to do more and we want to do it based in basketball and the branding kind of program mission that we already have so did you say it and I missed it but, but is there a, what are like the revenues of Association, yeah so they all, all the programs are, are similar in the fact that it's primary registration so, you know, AAU's team registration, HoopFest's team registration. Uh, uh, a lot of those then, the second one is sponsorship. So sponsorship across the board is our yeah. second biggest one. Our third biggest in general is retail. We have a really large retail activation at HoopFest itself. Um, anecdotally, um, you know, Nike now has bricks and mortar here in Spokane, the Nike factory store. The two years it's been open, it's been number one in the world globally for Nike retail like Nike Signature, Nike Towns, Nike Factories. The one in Spokane? On HoopFest weekend. And it was an experiment. And it was an experiment. And guess who outsold them on the weekend? Our tent. <laughs> it's a big retail weekend, yeah. uh, big retail weekend. Mm -hmm. um, so that's our third piece. That's a imp really important piece to us keeping the business up and running. Uh, and then the fourth piece on the HoopFest side, which obviously is, goes into the bucket for the organization, is um, those vendors, food vendors and exhibitors like the people selling the sunglasses or whatever. So from a revenue standpoint, dollars and cents standpoint, I mean, what is HoopFest running? Oh, the total annual budget is about 2.8 million. 2.8, okay, mm -hmm. cool, that's a good size budget for, yeah. for a nonprofit, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Yep. and no, there's no public money tied to that. There's no yeah. grants and foundations that we utilize currently. Um, certainly that would be a path we, we are exploring or have explored, um, but really it's just trying to maximize the value because we want to keep the program cost low. Mm -hmm. We want people to have access to this event. Yeah. Um, so really rely heavily on that that corporate sponsorship. 
something I'm always a bad guy I always ask the negative questions so here's here's a negative one yeah. right so I know we talked economic impact 50 million dollars right coming into the city of Spokane Valley just metropolitan yeah. area right that's huge that's great so hotels bars restaurants uh, retail they all benefit obviously the ancillary um, businesses as well I know a lot of businesses downtown Hoopfest weekend just shut up shop and yep. get the heck out of town yeah and a lot of those businesses have a negative view of it and it actually frankly pisses me off I'm like no embrace it change your yep. business model for the weekend do something that actually gets people in your door instead of yep. trying to alienate you know why are they shut all I wanted was to buy a water or whatever what is your message to that like how do you guys deal with that well I it's more um Broadly than just the business community, I say it takes two people at Hoopfest, right? It takes the person that loves coming down to the heart of it, just mm -hmm. loves the action, the commotion, the congested, the people, mm -hmm. the energy. And it also takes the person that's getting as far away from it as they can. They're going to the lake and they don't want it. They, they love that the community, our community does it, but they don't like the, 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 mm -hmm. what it creates. We need both those people to support it. And they're both, they don't know this, but they're both supporting it in their own way because mm -hmm. they're, as they're driving out of town, they're going like, I love our community does this, but I'm, I'm out of here, right? So the fact that we get their kind of moral support is really important. On the businesses, I, I, when I first started, I took the tack like you, like if you can't sell to 250,000 people outside your doorstep, that's not a, that's not a hoop fest problem to solve, you know? So that's, that's one way, that's probably a little salty, right? That's not the, not the best way, that's not a win-win. Um, the example I love is Mizuna, great restaurant in downtown, not a partner of ours. But my understanding is that they shut down, and then but they use it as a company retreat. You know, they do go to the lake, but they use it as a time to develop their personnel, their staff, their team, uh, and they're still utilizing that weekend. They're saying this isn't necessarily our crowd. You know, that's great. Yeah. and that's and I love it because they're not they're not angry about it. They're like we're gonna pivot and we're gonna make it use this opportunity to to further our own you know mission and cause, which I I love that. You know, for the other retailers or or businesses that may not like it. Um, it'd have to go case by case. Like it, it would have to like really understand what the angst is. It the, mu is the music too loud, which is one that we've heard for many years uh, from Dotson's Jewelers, who just you know unfortunately just went out of business, long-standing business in downtown. The new guy in there is going to love it. Yeah, like yeah, he, they literally. So and and or you know the property owners and parking and access to buildings, but we do an extensive amount of work to keep parking garages open. Like I would love to put more courts in downtown and shut some more streets down but no we keep every parking garage has access so people can get in and out um i didn't know that that's and then, amazing yeah and so like we we try to make it i mean it's a lot of people like there's a ton of logistics behind that that weekend um but i hope at the end of the day even though it may be an inconvenience especially as population density happens in downtown mm -hmm. and more living happens um that they want the urban experience that's what our city has been you know promoting the last several years mm -hmm. Well, it doesn't get more urban experience than Hoopfest weekend. So if you, this is what it is. And so hopefully you get people to kind of advocate for it, even though um, there may be a little bit of, you know, inconvenience or uh, change for that weekend. Yeah. yeah. So while we're on the, the negative questions or whatever you call air them. Quotes. Okay. Yeah, those were air quotes. <laughs> the, uh, so I was just thinking about it. It's like, so we, it seems like as a community, as a nation, whatever, like times they're changing, right? Yeah. It's like, how does security change? Because yep. I know you guys yep. have had security issues in the past. Yep. Now it's like, wow, that's not something we ever had to really do 
feel with 20 years ago. Yeah. At I mean, least I, not to the same degree that we do now. Yeah. And I think so. I'll give you a little bit of anecdotal story on that one. So three years ago, um, the federal government had funding through Homeland Security to do a, um, a tabletop exercise. And I don't know how they chose Spokane and or Hoopfest, but they chose Hoopfest. So they came to Spokane and they wanted to know about all the different kind of our operations plan. Because our, our site security, we have a great partnership with Spokane Police and Fire in the city. But a lot of our operations, site operations plans comes from a singular volunteer that's been involved for many years. So he actually is the one that has developed our document uh, for like site operations. Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't mess with him. That's <laughs> um, but so now we're with Homeland Security. We're doing a tabletop exercise. And the tabletop exercise wasn't preventative. It was like, what happens if everything breaks loose on Hoopfest weekend? Mm -hmm. Then what happens? Right? How do we, how do the hospitals, how does first responders, how does, how do we communicate? And so what they learned after being here for, you know, a couple different meetings, sessions of meetings was that we were a lot more sophisticated than we looked because we already, we already monitor social media. We have a site. We literally make Spokane a site, a city, a smart city for that weekend with our technology. And then we put it mm -hmm. back in the warehouse afterwards. Um, so that we have measures in place that they didn't necessarily assume were in place when, when the conversation started. In addition to that, we have great, like I said, great coverage, private security, Spokane Police, Spokane Fire. You know, we've added the dump trucks for live traffic because you're kind of always reacting to what bad stuff's happening else, elsewhere in the world. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and you're trying to do the best you can, but it is a, uh, uh, with all the things that are happening in the world, Hoopfest is a tough one because it's an uncontrolled environment. Yeah. You know, everyone has a cooler and a backpack and yeah. we're in buildings. Yeah. Like everything that's bad that's happened is, is happening, you know, could happen. And so we just try to do the best we can at monitoring the airwaves and really trying to create uh, that family-friendly environment and, like and make sure that, you know, we have the, the measures in place that we can communicate as effectively as we can to as many people as we can in the mm -hmm. event that something does happen. Well, having people be aware, right? Yeah, and I think... It's like the airport. Be aware. You see something... Yep, see something, somebody. say something. Yeah, yeah. and I, I, we have a lot of those messages in place. And, and you know, and we've had... Hoopfest has had times where stuff has happened, you know, and, and been able to respond quickly, keep people safe, um, and then people continue to come back and enjoy the weekend for what it's what it is. So Hooptown was obviously a new venture. What's next? Um, I think Hooptown's got some legs. So I think the Hooptown um, venture is going to take us um, for a little ways here. Um, a lot of it's going to be centered around investment in our parks through that multi-care investment, Love not it. just Riverfront Park, but an enhancement project throughout our existing community courts. I really have a, a, my personal kind of passion and interest is really trying to fuse art and basketball together, bringing those two communities. I think those basketball courts create great template murals for murals and have artwork. Have you talked to Looking Ginger? Oh, yeah. Terrain? Okay. Oh, yeah. Or have you talked to um, Look, Yeah. yeah. Um, and so, you know, I think there's a great opportunity to fuse those two communities together even stronger. I think that we're all artists. It's just different mediums of expression and creativity. Cool. Um, I think that, you know, the ability to have more events and really start to brand the city so there's, it's recognizable, I think, creates opportunities down the road for NBA exhibition games, you know, G League teams, you know, no, obviously NCAA, NCAA regionals are really well. How can we really lift up State B when they come? Mm -hmm. um, I think there's opportunities there. And then we'll, after the first year, we'll really turn our attention to Hoopfest and building that out. Um, you know, three on three will be an Olympic sport through FIBA, you know, this summer. So, you know, being able to make sure we're at the forefront of that movement uh, to the best that we can be. Um, I just think there's a ton a ton of opportunity even for an event this size an organization this size to continue to grow and push stuff awesome. forward 
So for clarity, is Nike in on Hooptown? Are you guys, do they want in on that? Is it Nike gear? So uh, no, it's not. Okay. So this one is not, um, anecdotally, another anecdote. So I, the two weeks before Hoopfest this year, I actually did my last visit to Nike in Beaverton to headquarters, um, mm-hmm. which I go down once a quarter. and. Me too. Yeah, for different I things. I just don't visit with people. I just buy stuff. Yeah, <laughs> go shopping. <laughs> um, Me too. And I have become friends. I'm fortunate enough because we have some great relationships at, at Nike. Tony Dorado and Jill No. And um, but one of the uh, guys that I've got to meet through Hoopfest is Eric Sprunk, who's the COO mm-hmm. of Nike. His son is uh, his son. He's a Montana family, just salted the earth. Um, kids have played in Hoopfest, and that's where I met him. And we've kind of become friends. So this last trip. Um, I went to his office and I kind of elevator pitched Hooptown because it's very abstract. Like, what are you doing? Like, yeah. we want to brand the city, Hooptown. Like, what does that mean? Like, what exactly are you going to do to do that? And so I kind of pitched it and he looked at Tony and he said, we don't own Hooptown USA. <laughs> like, he was a shock. I'm going like, because obviously Nike Town, Bike Town, and yeah. you know, I mean, all the towns. They have all the he's towns. Like, seriously? And he's like, how, who dropped the ball on that one? I was well, like, where's our freaking IT like, department? I could, yeah, I can make you a good deal on it. But, uh. <laughs> Entire marketing department's fired. Yeah, exactly. Like, how do you not own? <laughs> we'll sell it to you, but we also want a portion of any of the revenues that come through you. Well, that's exactly right. And so, um, so no, so Hooptown's completely independent. We're building out partnerships now with No Lie, uh, Hooptown. Golden Ale, which are on uh, grocery stores shelves now, hmm. um, and Dabak Coffee. We'll do a mm-hmm. Hooptown, a black top blend. Um, we've approached, uh, you know, we'll probably do some type of ice cream. We want to, I want a spice. I want a spiceology, a, a Hooptown spice, like some oh, type of rub or something Pull like a that. Hooptown on yeah. spaghetti. But it, it, I think it creates some opportunities there to really create an e-commerce licensing brand as we kind of create this community identity. It. it doesn't necessarily have to be money in Hooptown's coffers. It could be like a portion, very small portion of proceeds or proceeds can kind of come back to that community court movement and an investment back in the community. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a, it, there's a, a purpose and mission to it too. Um, and from there, like it just can go a lot of different directions. That's cool. I'm that's also cool. just for the record, these guys are now a customer of Heartland, which I'm really, yeah, really proud of. Yeah. Yep. Happy to have you guys on board. Yeah. We're excited to be on board on all the different, uh, well, you know, you've seen it, or at least your partner has seen it, all the yeah. different, uh, moving parts and lots. accounts and all this stuff to try to keep all, the, all, all our world straight. Lots and lots and lots of opportunity moving forward as well. So, yeah, tons of different. So I'm going to shift to psychology a little bit here in your <laughs> psyche. Yeah. And I just have a question and then you can say it's a dumb question, but it's like, so playing basketball, some of your teammates, some of the people around have made it big, right? And make a, I would imagine a pretty freaking yeah. good living, right? Yeah. Did it ever, do you ever go like, oh man, I could have made like, uh, or do you ever struggle with jealousy or was there a period of time that like I mean because I, I just saying from my own yeah. I'm like frick like that should have been me yeah but. not really um, certainly there's some disappointment uh, but I don't care because I think two things one is I gave everything I had yeah. So when people ask me, like, why didn't you make the NBA? Because I went through all the pre-draft stuff. I was on, you know, I was in the conversation at that time. Obviously, I got to play professionally, which is really fortunate. But at the end of the day, I just wasn't good enough. Mm. So who am I going to be mad at? Yeah. I'm not even mad at myself about that. Like, I gave it all I had. And really where I think I was probably not good enough was between my own ears. I didn't believe I was good enough. I didn't, you know, when, when I look at guys, my peers that made the NBA and really, you know, made carved out really six good careers and solid careers like they always just believed that mm. they should be there and i just i envy that i was always envious of that because i just didn't believe i still don't like it's kind of like i just kind of on off the i'm, I'm just kind of 
-hmm. going wherever life takes me, you know? So I don't know, like I'm really fortunate for HoopFest, but I don't know. I don't have that, that endearing confidence. Like this is the path we need to go on. Like I, we need to be here, here and here. It's like, well, that looks interesting. Let's go check that out. And you know what? That opportunity looks interesting too. And so that's how, when I look back at basketball and people ask me, um, it doesn't really land like it never lands poorly. I don't really, I sleep the same at night, which is a great, I think my great barometer for where you're at, your mental is at, you know, yes. like if you're sleeping well at night, you're not carrying around any baggage or scar tissue that you should, shouldn't be. Um, at the end of the day, like I was really fortunate. The other thing I look at, which is a small silver lining is playing in Europe. Like I was playing 35 minutes a night. So had I made an NBA team, like really, you know, a 10 day contract and I can sit here with you to be like, yeah, well, when I was in the NBA for 10 days, like, no, I wanted to play basketball. I, I wanted to play basketball and I got the <laughs> opportunity to play basketball at a really high level. So I don't look back with a lot of angst around it. That might be, it'd be nice to have, I mean, it'd be, it'd be nice to have some more money, but, yeah, there's that. but other than that. But see, that comes full circle to what we talked about two weeks ago, right before Thanksgiving. We, uh, we talked about what we're grateful for versus, you know, what you do have versus what you don't have. Yeah. And you've got some of the best memories of your life from basketball. To this mm -hmm. day, so, you're making memories because of the yeah. sport you love. And, you know, fortunately, I can say the same about soccer. You probably say the same about your interests outside of sport. But that's, that's so important. Your attitude literally defines why you're a leader why you yeah, should be a totally. leader well and so like for me as a father too like how do you instill that same you know that same thing because you don't want you know, we all know the ang angry dude at the bar well, and enjoy the process you know right? that's upset yeah. at a coach because they didn't get a chance in eighth grade or high school or upset because uh, uncle rico man yeah, yeah like some external force kept you from achieving what you're supposed to no it's all on us you know we and i always say like especially with the teenage son you know he's in the finding himself years i'm like you don't find yourself you make yourself yeah. Each yeah, and every day, buddy. you make it. It's funny, Mike Roth, when we, we had him on the podcast yeah. maybe two months ago, he brought up Michael Jordan and his uh, acceptance speech when he was inducted into the Hall of Fame, the NBA, or sorry, the Basketball Hall of Fame. Yep, yep. And he still carries bitterness from being cut in high school and guys that defended him, you know, the Jordan stopper, was it Craig Elo they brought in and he yep. made fun of him and, and still carries this bitterness, even though he's unilaterally the greatest player of all time. You get very few arguments. Yeah. Every now and again, people will say Kobe, Jordan, different names. But yeah. I mean, either way, you made it. Why are you? He's always yeah. in the discussion. Nobody ever says no. He's not even close, right? But you are the greatest player of all time. Why do you have this animosity? Why are you still? You that setback made you. That setback gave you the drive to be what mm -hmm. you've been. And he's a billionaire. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> what does he have to be upset about anymore? And, and I think that's really it's fascinating because that's what drives him. You know, so it's like you can't knock. It's not. It's not what would drive me. You know, and I don't want. Mm -hmm. I don't want to carry that chip or that weight. I have enough of chip on my shoulder now. I don't need to carry additional <laughs> stuff. Um, but you're sleeping good, so obviously, yeah, exactly, because like, the chip's heavy. Off. So yeah, it's like yeah. I just knock. Now I would just knock you out of the face, hits you every night. <laughs> I'd love to go for a beer and a cigar with Michael. I'd love to spend time. Oh with yeah. Him, but I would dive into that psychologically. Sure, that's what is interesting. I need that you to explain this to me. Like, how is that even? Well, yeah. you said possible? it. It's like between your ears, right? Yeah. I mean, it's totally. I think so much of our people's success isn't their skill set, but it's their psyche. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And some people I think just, that was your best answer yet. Some people podcast. believe uh, they just believe in it. That's really admirable. Yeah, yeah. It is. It's crazy. So <laughs> it's crazy. I get positive feedback when I speak to people about you in the community, and not that we're ever yeah, looking good. for negative couple feedback. A couple of well placed twenty dollar bills around town. <laughs> I know. I always. Uh, I always aim for people to be neutral to positive. You're always going to have your detractors. People yeah. dislike you. Oh yeah. But you've you've eight, eight well seven staff because you're one of them. That essentially report to and you've got a board of directors 
what do you want their thoughts and what do you want your legacy to be basically if they had to describe you as their leader yeah how would you like them to do that oh gosh um fair consistent always getting better mm-hmm. you know striving to improve uh ability to acknowledge where i'm not strong i think that's a big thing too mm-hmm. um really what I, i'd like to see is you know maybe it goes back a little bit to my basketball playing days but you know the the mark of a point guard is winning and losing um, I don't think obviously real world and business aren't always so clean cut on what's a win and what's a loss. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not just on the scoreboard at the end of, you know, the, your time. Um, but as a point guard, when you when you really try to define what winning means to me, it really became, it came down to making people around you better. And so that's one that I would, I, yeah, I would love, I would love to have that be kind of part of the conversation if it's ever possible. Um, and then, you know, being a point guard too, I, and, and being a leader in this organization, you have the ability to maybe see where people are strong, where they don't necessarily see where they're strong. So how do you push them in that direction? Mm -hmm. Um, how do you make sure you're their safety net when you push them in a direction that maybe they aren't as strong? Um, so really it's just for that more complimentary skill set, you know, and just kind of like, I, like I said, I don't, I'm not a big, I think I, I have a decent amount of, um, creativity and vision around creativity. But I'm never like this is the way we have to go. Hmm. Um, it's adaptable. like it's more like a, a, you know what do you think of this? What do you think of this? And I kind of triangulate my path by kind of what what no I don't know that about that body language. That idea wasn't good. Okay, what about you? What do you think right. about this? You know so um, so just kind of open for the ride. So hopefully those types of things um, would be ones that they would you know consider. Um, Mm-hmm. And like, I have no problem putting someone out in front if they're better, smarter, better looking, that they're right for the audience. Like there, I don't have to be at the point of this thing. I, I can push people and let them go as long as HoopFest benefits, you know, if we have HoopFest at heart, then after that it's pretty easy. So whether you've read it or listened to it or not, you basically just talked about a book that Ben's just about to finish and I've read Simon Sinek, The Infinite Game. Mm-mm. You wrapped it up in a nutshell in your own words. Yeah. But essentially... You talked about the fact that, you know, you can't always decide whether it's a win or a loss in business. It's an infinite game, right? So you've got these finite games, lots of little finite games within. You're progressing your cause. But then overall, let's say your tenure at HoopFest ends after 12 years. It's not like, well, we won when Matt was here. It's like, well, we were here. Now we're here and what's next? It's, It's an infinite game. It goes on with or without you, right? And I think having the foresight to be able to not just say that, but live that. Is, is a huge, huge deal and, you know, shows massive leadership qualities. Well, and I think I think it's hard, too, because everyone wants to, um, they all, it seems like, not everyone, but it seems oftentimes we get caught up in trying to prove our worth. Like, mm-hmm. I really don't like the networking, the resume networking. Well, you know, what do you do? Well, I do HoopFest and AAU and IBA and Eastern Washington Elite and Yadi, I'm like, if I have to tell you, but like, this con- you this, this yeah. conversation ain't, it ain't, it's not going to give me a lot out of it. So I, I'm not a big like puff your chest out like either you know and you respect it or you don't know and that's okay i'll sleep the same at night um and i think a lot of that um you know comes from the fact that you know i've already retired from my passionate career like i was a basketball player Mm -hmm. i did it in third grade until i was 30 years old like i've already (laughs) lived that life i know what that breakup's like i know what retirement feels like i know when, when something that means so much to me that it's every day is taken from you so now it's like I'm just grateful to still be a part of the game and impact those lessons and values that I learned and, and create that opportunity for other people. Um, 
so there's a sense of gratitude uh, around that too versus me feeling like I have to prove myself every day. Mm -hmm. And I think that takes some pressure off me. And ultimately what you do is you prove yourself every day. Like it's, yeah. it's weird. Like when you take your eye off like that singular focus, stuff, good stuff kind of happens. That's cool. Your passion is probably contagious too. I, I imagine amongst your, your, your I team. cry a lot. I do. It's Dude. kind of embarrassing. Probably you. Not and really. Both. I'm pretty proud. Of it. I, I don't mind. <laughs> you you did yeah. share with me once before you cried at the end of the <laughs> fest you played in. Yeah. Because everything just came all at once. I did. Yeah. Love actually. <laughs> Love. I, uh, yeah. Those ones. I'm not so much a hallmark crier, no, a hallmark but crier. I cry as often as a hallmark. <laughs> yeah. I like it. That's good. That's. I can't remember what they said. They said. Uh, where was it? I was reading an article. This is going to be really stupid because I can't remember what the article was. But I'm just put that out there. It said that like crying is a sign of like a psychologically strong person, right, or something like that. Amongst those lines, that you can well, actually and emit those emotions and be okay with it. Well, and I do that a lot with the uh, like the youth basketball teams, my kids' basketball teams that I coach, especially for young men. I mean, it's critical that young men have a at least some touch with their emotions and they feel mm -hmm. comfortable in sharing yeah. it. That is strength. Vulnerability is strength. Yeah. If you can't be vulnerable, then we're just faking at it, and that's yeah, not totally. life's too short to be faking at it. I like it. I agree. Can I ask, and we can go as long as you want. You said you're an hour and a half, but um, one thing that you would say sport has taught you that serves you well in the corporate world now? Um, I'd say I'd go back to the making people around you better. Um, I also think habits. I think the habits are really, really important. I think uh, uh, when you talk about win and loss or the infinite game, when you um, uh, alluded to that book, it's really, it's those habits of, you know, every other day. I'm not, you know, yes, I have a goal to, that Hoopfest is better when I leave it, whenever that is, um, than when I found it. But you don't just fast forward and get there. It's just you do the right thing. You show up every day, you know. And so, mm -hmm. you, and that's where I think I really learned that at GU, um, back to a previous story, is that it's just you're, you're trying to get better each and every day. Um, and I think that those ones are, are really, really important uh that do translate and for you young athletes out there that are listening the lessons you're learning in sport you may not even be able to articulate the value but oh my gosh they got value so like the better you are at kind of sharing what recognizing the things that you take for uh, granted the work ethic the teamwork the goal setting the sacrifice the discipline the focus all those things are exactly what employers are looking for but then i would challenge them to think higher not just be an employee like how do we become leaders? How do we become, how do we impact? How do we, um, you know, eventually become owners and things like that. And I think that's where a lot of employers talk about, like we like former athletes for all those reasons. And athletes are never necessarily given the language of leadership or the language of, because we're just good soldiers. Mm -hmm. coach, coach says, run through the wall, you run through the wall. Well, how do you get to that next step? Okay, we ran through the wall, now how do we help someone else run through the wall more efficiently or yeah. you know, with yeah. less damage or whatever, you know what I mean? But. Uh, and so I think that those lessons are really, really critical. That was our Monday podcast. Running to the on, wall? On being a leader when you're not in a managerial or mm -hmm. you know, quote unquote leadership position, right? What'd you, you determine? Can be a leader from outside of a manager's position. Yeah. I had, when I chose to come to GU, Coach Fitzgerald was the head coach. Coach Few was um, uh, the assistant coach, but they both recruited me out of high school. And Coach Fitzgerald, who does get enough credit for what Gonzaga's become, was really uh, a part of that character of what it means to be a Zag, which is a real character quality. Um, but he was in my living room with my parents and Coach Few on a, on, while I was being recruited, and he looked at me and he said, no one's bigger than the program. No one. But if I had a basketball, I would hand it to you, 
and say, you're going to go or we're going to go where you're going to take us. Right? So I still get goosebumps about that because no one's bigger than the business. No one's bigger than the team. No one's mm-hmm. bigger than your individuals, bigger than your family. Not one individual is bigger than the community. However, he was giving me influence on where that group was going to go in our case, the team. Now, as an adult, I realized he probably said that in every living room he yeah. ever went in. So I have perspective on it. However, for me, it struck a chord because no one's bigger. So the, if he, if you by title or by, you know, responsibility, you are a leader, that's the least of the worries, right? Because you have impact and influence on the people around you from wherever you're at. Mm-hmm. And you can show up every day. You can be the first one in the gym. You can be the last one out of the gym. You can get the extra reps and you can do the extra studying. Mm-hmm. Those are the habits that you're building that ultimately say, okay, I'm ready for more responsibility. Oh, weird, I'm in a leadership role. It's not like, hey, I'm gonna be a leader. No, you do the right stuff every single day and you become a leader. Yeah. And that's really what people love. They, get to the, they want to get to the destination and they're not so concerned about the journey. Yeah, and it's really about the, the journey. Yeah, they yeah. want the authority, but it's, you, gotta, you have to earn it and you earn it through those habits every single day. And that's what the grind is. Yeah, yeah. that's great. That's a good one. I love it. Habits, habits, habits. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, when can I play basketball with you? <laughs> Shoot, I don't even hardly play anymore. I was or hoping soccer. I was hoping or to soccer. dunk at fifty. That was my goal, but then I, I got derailed by a little injury. Um but I still think I, I, I still got a couple of them. I'm forty two, so I'm a little older yeah. than you. So <laughs> when you sign up for the dunk contest, maybe I will too. Oh, there you go. <laughs> All right. And if those judges don't get me into the finals, then <laughs> head, heads will they're roll. Fired. Yeah. Yeah, those volunteers, <laughs> those volunteers are, fired. are fired. How dare you not? I just think it'd be fun just to do, just but. to... Because I, I still it to would. this day, I'll tell people I can, and they're like, no, you can't. And I'm yeah. like, go and, go and look. I put it on the social media. Oh, oh yeah. You got to believe it. It's on <laughs> yeah. social media. It was not headed to the ball. It's a weird camera angle, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've, had, I've had all of that. People accusing me of nine foot. And I'm like, it's the same ring. The, the gym you go to, it doesn't adjust. Yeah. I'm like, all right. That's fine. So <laughs> within the that. last 30 seconds, I want to see you guys on his thoughts on what of soccer. All right. So, I say it only because it really upsets soccer players, which is why I I mostly make it dramatic. So, I have a son who played soccer. Unfortunately, he stopped of his own accord, very too young. Um, And so, that was my kind of my first experience in soccer. But here's my challenge tongue in cheek, completely sarcastic, I say, as I'm moving my thumb which is an opposable digit on our hand that separates us from the animals, like we should use it. So not using hands in sport is fundamentally goes against our human nature. Goalkeepers? The one, usually the Americans, right? On the team, no, just kidding. Um, so that's my joke. But the, my, my challenge around um, at least soccer in America is that they can start really young. So soccer, don't take the first part, listen to the second part of this comment. Soccer is really easy to play, really, really hard to be good at. So you can play, you can start playing at two, three years old. You can run around, maybe you kick the ball, maybe you score, it's fun to fun, you don't keep score. Well, sports, the American sports, basketball, football, baseball, are really, really hard to play. There's a lot of rules. You can't run with a basketball. Like football, you're getting tackled. Like that's not fun. You know, like there's a lot, baseball's slow. I mean, there's a lot of like structure to it. Well, that's hard for a three or four year old to start playing Mm -hmm. sport. So soccer gets us engaged. It's like a gateway drug. Soccer gets us engaged in the sport world. And then you're like, but I'm a basketball family. So we got to start playing basketball at four. No, you don't. No, you don't. You don't have to. So then everyone retires at 12. So you actually, actually don't get the benefit of 
sport because you yeah. do you're out of sport before puberty. You got all the hassle of it, right? And so then, away for the stupid. So I think that that really creates a, a challenge in how not the sport. The, the I think soccer is an awesome game, and I actually really appreciate that my son plays it because it like Steve Kerr recently came out and said it teaches spacing and angles and coordination and all these things that translate to so many different mm-hmm. other sports in general, but other life skills. Like mm-hmm. it's a wonderful sport. Like depth penetration. Yeah, and so I like I think you don't use the middle of the field though everything goes to the side you got to get to the middle like depends on it i know i don't um so i think that that one's just a little hard because you you do start so young then you get to an age where you do keep score parents lose their minds because now little timmy lost you know because it was it's been fun to fun let's just go back to fun to fun like no there's a point why we keep score for a point a sport for a point yeah and there's great lessons in that sport because maybe the greatest lesson in sport is how to lose yeah. Right, how to get knocked Basically, down and get yourself yeah. back up, and so that's my soccer theories. I think I it like starts it. it starts a little too young. Um, it forces other sports to kind of come online too young, and then kids stop playing, and then you lose a lot of the benefit of that more health and wellness than sports stuff. But the sport is also an additional yeah. um, um, piece. You're bringing me back to some of the nightmares I lived when I was running soccer. The uh, parents, parents, not, are... not just the parents, just the. Everybody's scrambling to, hey, we have to start them at three and we have to start them at, I mean, there's a, so- it's called soccer tots. There's a thing yep. that yeah. starts people at three yep. and now they're talking about going to two, two and a half. Good Lord, they can hardly walk. I know seven year olds that can't walk and chew gum at the same time. Like c- cognitively, they are, uh, they, they don't have the motor skills. They're not, you, you don't, some people just bloom later, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, wait, you, you're asking these kids to do, to your point, something really complex with their feet mm-hmm. when they fall over a lot. As opposed to, we're naturally coordinated with our hands for the most part, with the thumbs and everything yeah. else. Yeah, sorry. So, how can we bad ask? Theory. And then the other thing, there's, there's multiple issues with soccer in this country, and I'm going to go on a, a little <laughs> bit of a rant. And this is my theory. There's a lot of coaches that are charlatans because I've never done it, and you don't have to play a sport yeah. to be a good coach. But at the young ages, you have to be able to demonstrate certain things. You can't ask a kid to do something with his feet that you can't do. Yeah, I'm like that's. A, like in and of itself that's ridiculous and every coach in basketball can shoot a free throw can dribble a ball and they can demonstrate it in soccer you don't have that but what I love about Hoop, Hoopfest and Hooptown and what you guys are doing you're making it accessible to all demographics yeah, of kids fun. basketball your community courts to play soccer you have to be middle upper class and affluent it's and, expensive even well, at young it ages it is and that's a that's a comment on club sport that's beyond mm-hmm. basketball i mean by, beyond soccer i mean that is club sport in general it's like you have the haves and have nots the the kid families that can't afford it don't get sport and that's really unfortunate i drove by andrew is it andrew Rippenfield? yep, yep. Um, the other day because i was up in that area all of the goals it's beautiful fields all the goals are padlocked together you don't get that in basketball. No. If there's a hoop you can play. You can play. And it. that's what I mean when I say it's not accessible. Here everybody wants to protect their goals and their beautiful fields and, and it's like who cares if the field has a divot in it? Yeah. Just let people play. Let them use the goals. The goals should have the grass worn away because kids yeah. are playing. It's yeah. almost sacrilegious, isn't it? Yeah. Like an empty pitch or an empty court. Like I just go like it's almost just painful. Like why isn't anyone playing? Use it. You talked about your Italian heritage and it's the same there as it is in Scotland. Yeah. All we talked we used to need was a sweater. You'd bring a sweater, somebody else would bring a sweater. There's two goalposts. Yeah. Ball. Kick it between them, yeah. And a, and a patch of grass. You'd play in car parks. And 
Like well, you, and it's an interesting comment too because when you talked about uh, you know park basketball, you know a lot of kids they wouldn't even know how to start a game if you dropped them off at a park and yeah. gave them you know ten soccer balls or ten basketballs. They wouldn't necessarily know. Like everything is so structured in their world. You know, there's always a coach, a trainer, someone like, hey, now it's intentional practice. Like you got if you're not you're dribbling, you, do you you, you got like sometimes you just want to go out and. Like, you don't get the three, two, one last second shot. Oh, I missed it. Oh, overtime. We get to shoot it again. Like all the imagination that goes, that comes from the game and just being out there by yourself. And I think that that is one thing certainly that was a founding principle of HoopFest because it was based on that style of basketball. Like mm -hmm. that's why court, that's why we call our own fouls. Like that's, you go to the party, like, hey, that's a foul. No, it's not a foul. You figure out how to, how to work it out. And yeah, sometimes it gets ugly, but most times it doesn't. We talk about the extremes of like, oh, there's a lot of fights. Well, no, there's a lot of conversation that happens and uh, problems that are solved before it escalates you never see all that you know and in highlights in sports now too you don't see the screen you don't see the two plays before that set up the fast break dunk mm -hmm. because you just see the dunk and so you, you don't you're the, you're missing out on really the the substance you know you're just seeing the flash hmm. yeah i do wish street soccer was more of a thing mm -hmm. i always look at i mean right there that corridor with underneath it, you could have soccer courts and basketball courts under yeah. there. Like, you know, co-op. Yeah, under the IMA. Goals and basketball yeah. courts. Yeah, yeah. See those kind of places all over they the place. They play around. Yeah. Still would be so. <laughs> Well, um, do you have anything you want to ask us? Yeah. Well, I mean, talk about, you know, you all have kind of talked a little bit around other guests you've had and, and obviously different lessons or the kind of the year. What are some of the best kind of nuggets you've heard? Like what are, what are some of the been the comments that you've best taken nuggets. away? Yeah, taken away from your podcast experience that maybe you've applied to your day to day. I don't know if there's a particular nugget as much as I just like how, I guess the heart of the people that we've had on, if that's a good mm -hmm. way. I mean, like, yeah. and you realize how different people really are, but when it comes down to it, you've talked about some of the things like people are really passionate about the areas they work in. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, not everyone, but the ones that we've gotten to encounter and it's cool to see that passion and how they can bottle it almost and direct it into their business or their fitness or their family or whatever yeah. it is yeah. that they're passionate about too. So I just love being around mm -hmm. passionate people, honestly. Yeah. And this has allowed us to do that. Save for one person. Everybody's local. Everybody's been Spokaneites. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And the passion, not just for the what they do, but the community. Mm -hmm. There's so many people like us that love this city. Yeah. So many people that have solutions for this city, and they don't want to get too political. But there's just bureaucracy in the way of good things happening yeah. and good people yeah. doing good things. Um, you know, I know some of the, the the issues you guys have had with in terms of having to go to the city and say, hey, you know, we fund this ourselves and we do this, and yep. you know, so I think just having the. Uh, good people that are kind of hamstrung on what they can do yep sorry um that's your parking in there <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um but yeah just amazing people in this city so much potential in this city yeah. and so much more to come yeah and i tell everybody this is like a weekly session for me for counseling just get a bunch of things off my chest learn from people hear things i've never heard before and then yeah. go away and be able to research them and apply well, them. And we've yeah. had ourselves checked people say things like you guys said this and it made it is I think change the way that we think about ourselves also a little bit and then how we're perceived in the community yeah so it's like yeah. okay that was a good learning a little bit of a mirror for yeah. us to be able to go <laughs> yeah yeah so i think it does uh, allowed us both to grow a little bit too well yeah. i think i think spokane's really on the cusp like to to both your points of, of something exciting because even though you know we we still have there's still fights and there's still you know obstacles oh, we got our issues. um 
it just it feels like people can make an impact here. Mm -hmm. um, you're seeing more young professionals stay. You're mm -hmm. seeing more uh, more influence. You're seeing more diversity um, in all forms, which I think is critical. Uh, but you can still make an impact, and, and what that does is that creates that sense of connection. And I know there's you know a population in Spokane that don't feel connected, and that's a that's a big part of the pie of trying to solve homelessness and so solve some of the other social issues we're we're seeing is that sense of connected, like I matter, you know, yeah. we matter. Mm -hmm. um, I think that part's really cool in Spokane because you can you know you know you, you no one's bigger than the community. Yeah. But if this podcast could give you the ball we're going to go where you're going to take us like that exact is exactly what it is for Spokane. Well, we've, we've definitely got sort of non-defined goals for what we're doing here. This was never supposed to be what it is now. It was supposed to be an accountability tool and it's morphed into an essential part of what, at least for me, and yeah, I know you no, look forward to it as well. So I can't imagine not doing it now. Yeah. yeah it's awesome. <laughs> and we're a year in. Um, one of the, the other thing on Spokane that I love, it's a big city. There's half a million people in the metropolitan area. And I can see you three times a day walking around yes, downtown seriously. as you're going to meetings and yeah. you're going to meetings. Biggest Not small you, city. Yeah, tons yeah. of different people. And you're just like, hey, Matt. And oh, again, continue hey. on. And <laughs> yeah. Oh, hi. It's, Third time. It's great. And I enjoy that. That's yeah. one of the things I love about this community. It's a small, big city, but it's a big city still. Yeah. yeah. Well, Matt, appreciate you coming on Yeah, today. thank you for having appreciate me. You, uh, your insights and sharing a little bit about yourself. Yeah. And thanks for listening. Rate us, review us, share us. That's big. And uh, until the next time, be good to yourselves and to each other. Boom. All done. <laughs>